TVP's announcements. This is a series that we have on our network where we give you announcements about upcoming projects and platforms that are entering the crypto ecosystem. Now, this is a disclaimer because we do that now. So, here's the thing. This is the presentation of a platform, and that's it. This is an investment advice. Don't take it as investment advice. If you like the platform, seek it out in the show notes. Go there, buy the things, invest in the platform. Help them out with your skill sets. But we're not giving you any recommendations or advice. This is just for you to listen to and soak up some new information about a new platform in this ecosystem. So, please enjoy. Hello, everybody. It's host number two of the Bitcoin Podcast, D, with another of TBP's announcements. And uh, today, the project that we are uh, highlighting is Crowd Machine. And we are joined by the CTO, Ben Gorlick, and the CEO, Craig Sprawl. And uh, you guys are familiar with the format now, so we're going to jump right into it. So first, gentlemen, uh, could you tell me? A little bit about your background, like your, I guess your personal slash professional background. And then we always like to hear that story of how you came into the crypto space. Was it like a, did you see it in a newspaper? Did you get an email from a family member? Like how did it, how did it work? Okay, well, I'll kick it off. Thanks for taking the time, Dimitri. Um, So I'm Craig, uh, the CEO of Crowd Machine. Uh, I've been in the tech industry for quite a long period of time. Uh, started out life by founding a systems integration company uh, and we built solutions for all sorts of different companies all over the world. And uh, that's really the genesis for the crowd machine technology today is that type of background. Um, and we have been sort of in the in all aspects of uh, the tech stack for a long period of time and, uh, you know, the whole crypto space as it's growing with popularity um, is just a natural progression for us. Uh, So we've been in it for quite a while. technology that we'll talk about today um, sort of has its own place in that, if you will. And, uh, but you'll learn more as we go. So I'll throw it over to Ben. Good deal. Hi, thanks Dimitri for hosting us. Uh, so my name is Ben, uh, CTO at Crowd Machine. And so some people uh, know me in the 
entrepreneur side of the Bitcoin space, I was a co-founder of Cloud Hashing, which first industrial scale cloud mining company back in 2013. Uh, I come from Anchorage, Alaska, where I'm originally from. I spent a kind of previous career in the energy and gold mining uh, sector. So I spent a lot of time learning about infrastructure and SCADA systems, control systems, and all sorts of ways in which the industrial world operates. And I'd, I've and how I ended up getting into Bitcoin was I have been a long time uh, language learning enthusiast. I've been studying various languages since I was young, and I've always interested in the challenges that language has with regards to how divided the world is when you get dropped into a foreign country and it's very difficult to acclimate yourself and exchange information with uh, people that speak a different language. And I had studied some of, from some of the best language teachers and often they would say that they felt like with all the work they put in, they never made a major dent helping the world really unify and be able to communicate globally. And that in translation was something that I saw when I started looking at Bitcoin in the end of 2012 and really got more enthusiastic about it when a friend of mine was encouraging me to check into Bitcoin mining in the very beginnings of 2013, understand and learn about what Bitcoin's promises were. I saw a correlation to the challenges in language learning in that Bitcoin may present a solution commerce between people in the same way that you know language is a challenge to translate. And if you're talking about exchange of goods, there's a lot of similarities. So that was exciting for me because I saw a lot of potential in a way that this technology could connect people around the world, regardless of where they're from and where you might drop into a foreign country and find that you can't spend the currency from the country you came from, have a solution to that as I was discovering. And that was exciting to me. Uh, fast forward and I you know, co-founded a company called Piranova. Uh, quite a bit of time in working on financial applications in the fintech sector and then had an opportunity to join up with Blockstream where I spent the uh, last two years in what I would call somewhat of a think tank as well as a company that really invested a lot of resource and uh, energy into understanding the fundamentals of what this technology could potentially do and really trying to extend that abilities for everybody in the world. So I was by the engineers that I was working with and the capabilities of the ideas that they could actually bring into reality. And we solved a lot of really interesting problems at Blockstream, allowed for me to look at other problems through a different vantage point including the challenges associated with building good smart contracts in the, the blockchain Bitcoin space, as well as the other uh, cryptocurrencies and building secure solutions for applications, consistent and repeatable. And with that, uh, when Crowd Machine 
and uh, Craig and I began talking about do with uh, the technology that he had been working on. I saw a potential for in terms of allowing for developers and innovators to be able to build robust applications in a way that was perhaps new, but also had promise of scalable for the, the global community of interested parties and those that are looking to build apps as well as blockchain companies that have great ideas and really, you know, a lot of promise, but are struggling to bring apps to market or bring secure technology to the market. That was one of the interests there. So it sounds like, um, you know, it was kind of like a natural fusion of talents. Craig, you'd been in the tech industry for a while. Of course, you have too, Ben, but you you were specifically working in crypto, and it just kind of like was a natural fusion, um, which was just led us to to crowd machine. So crowd machine thinks they found a problem, and what's that problem that you guys are trying to solve? There's a couple of different problems there, Dimitri. The the first one is simply that um, we fundamentally believe that the development model that exists today um, cannot scale to meet the demand it's that the uh, that the market requires um, the industry to meet. So. Uh, it's it's across many different sectors. So if you look at at what's going on in the blockchain sector today, and uh, also in the IoT sector, for solutions, is outstripping the industry's ability to be able to to supply solutions using the current model. What we have been focused on is um, changing the model and uh, changing it in two ways. One by reducing the uh, sophistication um, of uh, the process um, and automating as much of the development tasks as we can possibly automate. So doing lowering the bar for um, the uh, level of knowledge and expertise required to actually create mission-critical type solutions. The problem that we focused in on um, so that's sort of one aspect of it. The other one is simply that we are very focused on decentralization. Um, we believe that the centralized market is perhaps limited in terms of its its uh, tenure. Uh, it has inherent problems associated with it that we're all familiar with, things like censorship and uh, aspects of redundancy and those types of things, cost. Um, so we're tackling that problem as well. So that allows people to, of all walks of life, wherever they are in the world, to get involved in the decentralized uh, or decentralization of the centralized infrastructure. Um, but it's also addressing that centralized mission um, that the world has today, uh, where we rely on failure and things like that. So we're trying to address both those issues. Good deal. So, how is, um, so with, with a lot of, um, these projects, there's a, they, there's a there's a strong line in the sand between uh, utility and security token, and mm-hmm. I always like to to say which side of the line are you guys on, and if it is utility, what's what incentivizes the users um, to 
to be a part of be part of that utility. Okay. So it is a utility token. There's two parts to that as well. The first one is that um, we have we're working on and we'll release in 2018 the crowd computer. Our mobile device owners and any sort of computer resource owners and even uh, those people who are managing um, networks of IoT devices to share their processor capacity with the network. Um, and uh, with that, uh, we will reward those participants. So you have, for example, a um, phone sitting beside you on your desk, for argument's sake, sitting around um, idle, then you can be sharing that device on the network and be rewarded, uh, being, be rewarded for its uh, the other side of the coin is that our development is embedded inside of that crowd computer. It stands alone today, but uh, longer term it will be embedded inside it. We have a, a thing called CrowdShare, a technology called CrowdShare, is that we're allowing people to create uh, capabilities, functionality, if you like, and put that into CrowdShare and it's a little like GitHub. So imagine GitHub um, uh, placing your source into GitHub and whenever that source is utilized by somebody else somewhere on the network, uh, then you are rewarded every time it's used. So what that allows us to do, fundamental to the way our technology works, and we can cover that off a little later on, but basically I can create a piece of capability, put it into CrowdShare, Whenever it's consumed and used, then I'm going to be rewarded uh, for its consumption for perpetuity or for, for the life of its use through ut uh, utility token. Hmm. So, do you, did you guys? Is this a, is it an ERC twenty token or is this a, a different blockchain altogether? You want to take that one, Ben? Um, the. the that is being used uh, is an ERC-20 token at the moment. Uh, that uh, The technology is not uh, designed such that uh, we're trying to build a competitive blockchain that you might see uh, happening across a number of projects currently in the crypto space. Uh, what we are, however, designing is a network and that is using a consensus methodology that we designed called Agoric. Do all of the applications and their respective functionality across the network, uh, actual componentry of applications, which we call patterns and activities and the respective logic rules associated with those, read that to the resources made available in the crowd computer. So we are consensus methodologies to keep the network in consensus about the Agoric nodes. However, this is not about trying to create the next competitor type of a company. In fact, uh, as Craig was mentioning, we will be supporting the ability to build smart contracts for a number of different blockchains, uh, including Ethereum and Bitcoin. So, could you maybe on a surface level, like uh, like pretend I'm a layman 
and uh, explain to our audiences just a little bit of the the particulars of the agoric. You said agoric, right? Agoric consensus algorithm. So Ben, I'll take the sure. first part of that, and I'll let you handle the second bit. Um, the it, I think it's important to understand how the the technology stack actually works to to better understand how the the network functions. So um, in our world. Um, applications exist as parts. And the way that I typically explain this, Dimitri, is simply that that you may have used or any application that you may have created um, exhibits behaviours. Typically, those behaviours are verticalised. For example, a CRM is verticalised around customer uh, relationship management, obviously. If you're building a, uh, a health records management system, um, then the behaviours are verticalised around that industry or that need. Application, you tend to create functionality for sets of specific purposes. So, for example, something as simple as perhaps in a, uh, a health system admitting a patient to the hospital, um, then that is a behaviour, a pattern of behaviour that that application exhibits discharging a patient from the hospital is a pattern of behaviour that that application exhibits. So you sort of get the picture. However, within each of those, those behaviours, there are subunits that we refer to as activities. We actually refer to the entire behaviour as a pattern, um, but within a pattern of behaviour, there are things that we refer to as an activity. And simply, if you think about writing an application, then you write blocks of, of code function. So if you were to take admitting a, a patient to hospital, for example, then perhaps you're going to have a screen that captures some patient information. You may have then a code that makes a call to see whether um, there's any other information out there in a database, for example, about that, that patient. Another piece of code that does something else. Is of code or blocks of logic we refer to as an activity. And so applications in our world exist as multiple parts. So an activity can be distributed to uh, redundantly across multiple, multiple devices on the crowd computer, so it's always available. And the network actually creates a, a blueprint, an execution blueprint for identification of that activity in terms of where it's located on the network for execution at runtime. And uh, it takes a whole bunch of different uh, considerations uh, into account. Like, for example, is the activity synchronous or asynchronous in nature? Um, what is the, uh, what is the uh, network uh, latency like for execution of, of those particular activities? Balance the network so that you're not biased around a metropolitan area so that people in remote locations who may be participating as a function of the crowd computer still get to participate. They're geographically positioned, so on and so forth. So that's sort of a little bit about the technology and that sort of that then plays into the network side. So then if you want to add anything there. You sure, I'll uh, try to speak it uh, speak to this in layman's terms the uh, there's a number of uh, is with regards to distributing uh, compute and there's some great projects out there that are currently doing this uh, at you know for various uh, specific applications uh, I think you know we things like SETI and uh, there's 
uh, Berkeley's working on some interesting projects in this and the ecology of computing uh, has a, a number of interesting resources on the topic. Uh, with regards to being able to where you need to maintain and update the network topology of computational resources, understanding of that current state, you run into challenges with regards to the consensus of a network to ensure that resources are allocated in a provable and consistent way based on the utility of the applications themselves in terms of cost versus performance needs of an application. So of the applications in the uh, development environment of this system, we're able to look at these components or patterns and activities as something that would be similar to the analogy of a microservice, where an application's needs are from the user's perspective who's running an application, they can optimize whether they need this application to be about performance or they just need it to run for the most optimal cost possible. And to do that, strong network uh, capability of ensuring that if a resource is not directly in your line of sight from a like direct peer-to-peer -peer relationship that you would still be able to gain access to that as opposed to just being you know routed through whatever was the nearest uh, available resource it might not actually be the most performant one for example so the design of this network consideration how these apps are built in the development environment and then utilizes some of the uh, interesting advancements that have happened in the uh, Bitcoin uh, ecosystem. For example, uh, utilizing Merkleized abstract, uh, abstract syntax trees uh, of patterns and activities of any kind of application, being able to reveal portions of an app necessary for app execution, unused components being pruned off, uh, being able to enhance privacy and decrease resource requirements when they're basically unused if you look at traditional apps and how they're you know loaded into memory as a you know full application uh in the way that they're developed today they're very uh big challenges to be able to distribute those to say like a mobile device or you know something of that sort so that's one of the uh profound abilities of this network combined with the application uh, environment that I think uh, people find very appealing and something that I think is a unique property. Uh, we can talk more about the technology if you want, but I, hopefully that gives kind of an overview. I think uh, I think you gave more than enough of, like to like tantalize the listeners to like dig into the white paper. Um, and that's really the intent is to, to hit things at a level to where people can spark their own curiosity it does sound like a technological tour de force. I'm straight up stealing Bill Gates' words. I just stole them. But I have other questions. So what about um, – I have interviewed projects in the past where they have uh, a live product. Their product's already been going. They just kind of do the token sell to add into the utility of the product that they've already had. So are you guys in alpha, beta? Is there – 
like what does it look like as far as you guys' roadmap? Have you so that, had a chance to check out the webcast that we published recently? I have not seen it. I have not. Let me take a look. Okay. Well, we'll share that with you and you can share that with your viewers. Craig, you can answer his uh, question. Then. Sure. Um, so the, the technologies in use today, um, predominantly with fortune 500 companies, um, you know, companies like Anthem health and, um, GE and, uh, you know, a number of different banks uh, have been uh, using it for, for a while. The adoption is pretty interesting. Um, there are some inherent challenges with meeting the industry goals, and, and what we're seeing here is that uh, these companies are getting behind the tech simply because um, of time, and uh, they have needs, uh, the market is pushing them to deliver solutions um, faster than they can traditionally create them. This technology allows um, applications to be created much, much uh, more quickly. Uh, we have examples uh, ranging from the minimum, on the, on, the, on the minimum side it'd be 10 times faster and the top side is around 45 times faster than your traditional approaches. Um, and furthermore, uh, we're shifting the demographic to allow a broader range of people to be able to participate. So you don't need to have a computer science degree or go and study, um, you know, learn a, learn a language to actually use the technology. It, you still need to uh, undertake some learning, um, but we find that anybody who can think logically and mind map out uh, perhaps uh, a problem uh, adapts to the or adopts the technology very, very quickly and becomes very proficient in its use in, in a short period of time. They're getting on board simply because um, they can actually get solutions to market much, much faster and, and, uh, and uh, use a broader demographic of uh, uh, persona that can, that can utilise the technology to get those solutions in the market. I like... I I know, uh, go ahead, too. go ahead. Yeah, so having uh, had a chance to, you know, speak with a large number of the companies that are in the crypto space uh, over the last couple of years, uh, we've seen in, you know, our industry, which is, you know, largely outside of the Fortune 500 uh, enterprise, that getting apps to market as a startup is a challenge. It's, you know, difficult to uh, you know, build out the ideas and meet the delivery times and all of the, you know, difficulties of bringing on new developers and getting them up to speed with what languages you're using, what coding styles you're using. And if you're, you know, looking to build the types of applications that uh, Craig, like these Fortune 500 companies are looking at, you often run into, you know, prioritization and resourcing uh, bottlenecks, especially as a smaller uh, company that maybe just raised your first round of funding. And so, that Craig described that allows you to build these apps faster does so by providing a natural language solution that sits on top of the network such that someone who has a visual mind or a logical mind and understands maybe the concept of a mind map or you know the flows and sequences of what it is they do 
can build that out without having to have a background in a specific language, for example. And that is a new way of looking at application development from base, uh, especially as you know, I've seen many of them, uh, you know, often building the same pieces of infrastructure to support, say, their their end goal app that might be unique. And there's a lot of challenge in doing so in terms of being able to get a product to the market. So that's something that we think will uh, help accelerate the growth and adoption of the applications. But in having also spoken with some of the companies as we just began introducing the Crowd Machine platform to uh, some of these uh, startups, we've had some great feedback and some of them have said this is amazing we've never seen anything like this before and you know having gone through our actual demo and you know them getting a chance to really see what it like see it for themselves it's uh, one thing to hear about it. it's another to actually see that this works and they go wow i didn't even know this existed often comes from you know the ctos or head uh, you know lead development uh, architects at companies that are looking at figuring out ways to, to be able to build their applications with their teams and get them into the market quickly because they've made promises to their uh, customers and investors. I, um, I, I personally, I've learned a little bit of code here and there in my past, but I've never been one to like love it. Like I'll, I'll do it if someone has a gun to my mom's head. I'll say like, all right, I'll code for you. I get it. I'll, I'll get it done. But the idea of being able to build things without having to know, like be a, a computer scientist, like you said, that's that's pretty appealing. Um, so how how does someone get involved if they wanted to? How do they start playing with this? Um, are you uh, do you have any like are you Telegram? Do you have a Slack? Do you like how do they get how do people get involved with Crowd Machine? Uh, there's plenty, plenty of ways to do that. If you go to the uh, Crowd Machine website, all of the social media links are up the top. Um, you can register for the newsletter, uh, the whitelist, so on and so forth, all from the from the website itself. Technology will be open for public. Um, we're calling it a beta, although it's it's pretty baked, as you've heard um, with these companies using it. But it will be open for public beta in in uh, January. Um, and so very shortly we will um, uh, a list up where you can register to participate in that beta, uh, get involved, learn the technology, give us lots of feedback. We love feedback, love hearing about what we can do better um, and uh, you know, sit in on some webinars and tutorials and things like that and you're off to the races. Out in, um, in January and probably within the next two weeks, the uh, registration for the beta will be up on the website as well. In the meantime, you can go to Bitcoin Talk and uh, Telegram and all the other typical social media sites and have a look for Crowd Machine and, and uh, join the community and ask us any questions that, we, that you have. Good deal. What about, um? so I only got a couple questions left. The next question is, tell us about the ICO, you do an ICO. Uh, any dates that people need to be aware of if you are uh, any like special structuring that people need to be aware of as well? Sure. There's uh, so we are going to an ICO. Uh, the public presales is kicking off right now. Um, we are going to a, a 
a public ICO in February. It's uh, launches on February 21. Um, and there's uh, there's an FAQ section on the website. If you have any uh, specific questions, then you can go and check that out. And uh, as I said, you can register for the whitelist on the website as well and uh, post any questions. As I mentioned to any of the uh, social media forums, we're watching all of those and we'll answer uh, any queries that you may have. Yeah, I'll add to that that it, let's say you're listening to this podcast and you're part of a company that is interested in building applications using something like this. I can think of you know companies like uh, Paycase and uh, the Shift Network, you know, looking at building out financial applications that connect to cryptocurrency and financial institutions. Uh, we're happy to help get them involved in being able to begin to experiment with this technology, uh, even during this, uh, you know, uh, you know, the ICO process. So uh, that's also open. They Good deal. Contact us. So uh, I guess yeah, my fact, last question. Go ahead. So, sorry, Dimitri. I was going to say to that end, if if anybody is interested, we are um, uh, taking uh, applications to work with companies to help them build out their apps. So on the website, they can actually go and apply. They go and apply uh, to us to. Um, take a look at what your idea may be or whatever it is that you're working on and, and we're going to take a select number of those and actually help those companies stand those apps up um, at no charge uh, simply because the technology is so fast to build applications that we can do that, that people can get involved. We're definitely interested in, as Ben mentioned, doing whatever we can to help the, the decentralisation um, market evolve. It's in our interest to do it. Um, and uh, as such, we're very active in um, helping companies uh, participate in that. We, we want it to be a success, and um, this is our way of doing that. You guys know your audience very well. I think you're very uh, very familiar with the crypto community because a lot of the things you um, are, are talking to are, are quite appealing. So. Um, last question is, I, I like to ask this question is that, is there anything that you'd hope that I'd ask that I didn't? Uh, well, um, not so much hope that you asked, but, uh, perhaps, um, maybe because I'm getting a little older, the altruistic side of me coming out. Um, one of the things about this is that I'm trying to, we're trying to democratize um, decentralization. Um, so what does that mean? It means that we're trying to make it such that anybody can get involved. Um, and there's, as we said, there's two ways of doing that. One is to become you know, a participant in the uh, crowd computer with your device. And the other is because we've reduced the barrier to entry for app uh, or activity creation, uh, part of an app creation, uh, then what we're doing there is allowing anybody in the world to actually participate, build content, add it to CrowdShare or use their device. Uh, and, and that's really, um, you know, obviously there's, uh, we want to succeed at decentralization, but for me personally, I also want to make sure that decentralization, more people that perhaps are in, that are in uh, uh, disadvantaged circumstances um, can actually 
partake in the process and and um, and gain some benefit from it. So not so much a question, but more of a comment, I guess. Thank yeah, you. I, I I might uh you know add to that. Um, perhaps it'd be one of the questions that would have been interesting is uh, kind of what's the longer term vision for you know this network uh, you know uh, potentially go uh, you know what would be the next thing that it would be possible to do uh, today. All right, I'll ask it now. What's the long term <laughs> potential, and what's the next step? All right. So you want to have a crack at that one, Ben? I've got a comment, but you go first. Nah, I thought it'd be pretty fun to hear. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, you want me to throw it out there? Yeah. Uh, yeah so um, we've mentioned a number of times, but but we truly want to devolve this centralized. Um, we want to um, to uh, disintermediate the the monopolies in the space. Um, and you know that sort of plays into what it was that I was mentioning a moment ago, whereby computing as best as we can with our knowledge and, and abilities to become more of a sort of a, a I guess a a people's paradigm. Um, and you know there are a lot of companies making an awful lot of money out of out of technology today, uh, and what we're trying to do is sort of share that I guess to some in some respects. So we believe that. Um, the centralized infrastructure market in particular um, is very vulnerable. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. We have a technology that is going to accelerate that process. Um, so I suspect that that's what you're alluding to, Ben, right? Yeah, yeah at least in, uh, you know, it's, I would say, and it's kind of early and mid stage. Uh, and that's a fair way to put it in. If I were to relate it to terms, you know, Bitcoin helps, uh, you know, extend what the internet, uh, you know, made possible in the sense that we can, you know, disintermediate the monopolies uh, and, uh, the, you know, powerful, uh, you know, issuers of currency and, uh, you know, financial institutions required to uh, transfer funds between individuals. Uh, it made it possible for two individuals that don't even know each other to be able to transact and do commerce with, with each other. And that same uh, exists in the compute space where today your application often ends up running on a you know large cloud provider's infrastructure. And in the same way that a financial institution could, uh, you know, have, let's say, a power outage and you couldn't access your online banking or they may have a, uh, you know, make it difficult to access your funds or transfer the funds on a timely basis. Those same types of challenges and others exist in the monopoly of the centralized compute space. And that we think, uh, can evolve and uh, transform. This is going to require a paradigm shift and how applications are built and deployed and executed and the incentives that have to align with that technology all have to uh, commingle in a homogenous uh, harmony, if you uh, will, for this to be realized. And so it's 
both a matter of having a technology that works and a network effect the participants that want to support and see that uh, future real uh, realized. So uh, uh, happened Bitcoin, and we're looking to do the same here. I like how you say it's just a it's gonna it's gonna require a, a little paradigm change, like it's <laughs> like that's a easy thing. Just a to, small paradigm. Yeah, like, just, hey, you got to start. You got to start somewhere, right? Definitely. You know, if I could continue on the vein, we started our 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 network now, but we started with just a podcast, and we think that mass adoption is the only thing that matters. There's no silver bullet to it, but we like to think it's exposure and education, some sort of weird mix of the two. And um, I'm glad that our audience has gotten exposure to your project. And um, I really do the hope they go to crowdmachine.com and check it out. So, um, yeah. Thank you, Dimitri. No Thanks. problem. Well, thank you guys for your time and thank you for stopping by. Um, I appreciate uh all the information you provide, and I know my listeners do as well. So, thanks for the opportunity, Dimitri. All the best. Yeah, look forward to hearing more from you guys and uh, hearing the feedback from the listeners. That's really great.